Welcome. You are listening to the Spiritual Exercises podcast. I'm Rachel Amaday. Thank you for being here for my fourth and last in my series, Discussing the Afterlife and Hell. I am so excited to get into all of my research and what I have learned today, especially with the New Testament and what it has to say, what Jesus, what Yeshua has to say about hell and the afterlife and how all of it kind of ties together with what we see already given in the Old Testament. So we're going to get into it. Um, first, I just want to say thank you for being here. I really appreciate you all. And um, just a reminder, you know, the times we're living in, they call for, for wisdom and for understanding. And if you've been discouraged lately, if you have been struggling, I hope this podcast has helped to remind you that our God is God and that he sees and understands every detail. And in fact, he is the one in charge of every detail. And if you are suffering right now, if you are struggling I'm not going to tell you it's his will that you struggle, but I'm going to tell you he has the ability to work all things together for good for those who love him. So even in your most difficult struggle, you will be able to look back and say thank you if you let him have it and submit your life to him. And I have been able to look back with gratitude at some times where God corrected me or challenged me. Because I can see how desperately I needed the correction, the direction I would have headed, what I would have done with my life. You know, when Jesus says it is better for you to cut out an eye or chop off a hand, right, than to um, end up separate from the Lord. He means it. He would prefer you suffer. He would prefer you be challenged. He would prefer you become a vessel in his hands, even though it takes cutting and chopping and shaping and challenge. He would prefer that because he wants you to be with him for eternity. And not only that, he wants you to be the bride. He wants you to be strong and good. And it takes, because of our fallen state, fallen nature, it takes suffering You know, one of the interesting things we see at the fall is this proclamation that judgment will take place upon man and woman, that females, that we would have suffering in childbirth, and that this would be necessary in order to shape us and mold us and help us actually to not have life too easily, that God doesn't want you to have an easy life. And for for men, that work would be hard and the ground would be difficult and it would fight and challenge them. This is a blessing because if we weren't challenged and if we didn't have to suffer, we would be awful and we would never learn the lessons that we need to learn in order to become like our God. So I'm not saying God wants you to go through what you're going through. Not that at all. But I am saying that what you're going through, what you're facing is usable and he loves you. He loves you in it. And if you surrender to him, I promise you, you will find peace even in the midst of hardship. 
All right, we're going to dig in today. We're talking about not maligning God's character with our views about the afterlife and sharing our views about the afterlife. And we're going to really get into some interesting stuff today. But I want to start with this, 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 4. It says, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. Ooh, there's a lot here. One thing, people sometimes only listen to those who say the things they like, not even necessarily the things that are true, not necessarily the things that are biblical, the things that uh, help them feel good about the beliefs that they have internalized and personalized. This is not a good position or situation to be in, by the way. If that's you, and, and if I'm even part of that, listen, challenge yourself. Make sure that what I'm saying you can find in the Bible. Is it there? Because if it is not there, then it is just an opinion. And perhaps it's something you should only espouse as an opinion, not as biblical truth, right? We try to be careful about opinions versus biblical truths. Not only that, but, you know, they will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. We've been talking about with this series, our ideas of hell, our Greek ideas of hell. They're much of them based on mythology, Dante's Inferno, human beings, writings that have nothing to do with the Bible, Greek mythology. Our ideas about the afterlife oftentimes have nothing to do with what the Bible describes. I don't want to be caught up in mythology when I'm telling people about our God. I want to be biblically accurate. I know you do as well. So we need to be careful. We're not seeking out teaching that just makes us feel good, especially when it comes to God's judgment, because what we don't want to do is make God a monster. And if we're monstrous, if we're willing to throw people into eternal torture chambers because we don't like them and vengeance and blah, blah, blah. Perhaps we're not really emulating the God that we serve. If we're less merciful than our God, we need to work on that. By the way, I bet a lot of you are like, no, you know, the people I know and love who don't believe in God, I would never put them in an eternal torture chamber. I wouldn't do that. If you find that you're more merciful than God, you also need to question, hey, maybe my understanding of the Bible is wrong. Maybe I'm getting this incorrect. Our job is to do as Second Timothy states. Here, keep our heads in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of our ministries. We have hard work, and it takes some clarity. It takes, as, as is put here in Second Timothy, great patience and careful instruction. Okay, I hope to be doing that with you. This is why I, I'm tackling this particular subject, because I know 
that we have some strange ideas around this. And I want to challenge, I am always trying to challenge our mainstream thought process regarding scripture where it might not be accurate. Okay. So we have covered meanings of the Old Testament words for hell. We specifically went over for a long time the word sheol and how it is used. Some translations do a good job using different words for hell. And some of them, like the King James Version, just use the word hell when it's not really the accurate word. And we have a Greek mindset understanding of the word hell that we need to challenge We don't quite get this, okay? So I looked up, there were a ton of other words in the Old Testament that relate to descriptions of death or hell. The word like yatsa, mata, metzar, amok, yiraka, arom, ragaz, rakab, kathar, shava, chebel, and tamak. Okay, strikingly, almost all of these either describe a direction, like downward, lower, beneath, deep, an emotional state of distress, or things like wide or broad is the meaning of the term, like wide is the way that leads to destruction, right? Um, So we're talking about destruction here. The reality is most of those words really don't describe our Greek view of the version of hell that we have kind of grown up with here. So we need to talk about mindset and filters really quickly. Um, I talk about this in my book. When you have a Western mindset, you often do not have a good understanding of scriptural descriptions, terminology, what's going on there. It's because, listen, the Bible was a Middle Eastern book written by Middle Eastern people. These were Jews, you know, writing the New Testament. These were uh, Hebrew people in the Old Testament. You know, Abraham was not a Jew, right? And he's a founder, the father of our faith, not a Jew. Noah was, you know, not a Jew. Um, But these are Middle Eastern peoples. This is a different culture, a different time period, different ideas and different understandings were taking place. We come from a Roman, Greek, you know, we come from a Western mindset. That filter will cause us to stumble at times with what the Bible is describing unless we take that filter off. We got to take, you know, I had a friend describe this as having on sunglasses. Sometimes sunglasses really distort the color of things, right? We need to take the sunglasses off and just read the Bible for what it actually says without the mythology and without, and, and it's hard, you know, even going from Hebrew to English is very difficult transition. The way Hebrew works is very different than English. It's an active language. Um, English is not an active language. Um, English is all about describing how something looks. Hebrew is all about describing action. We have just some struggle. We have some challenges, but that's okay. What's great is the Holy Spirit is allowing people to understand the word despite the translational challenges, despite the language challenges, despite the Greek mindset, God is waking his people up and he's calling them out and calling them to understand more. And so, you know, it's not my job to tell everybody your filter's wrong. Well, the Holy Spirit's doing that. I'm just tell- I'm just observing for you what I have learned and what I am seeing. When people take off their filters, the Bible says some things differently than what we previously assumed. Okay, so let's not make assumptions. Let's go dig into what scripture actually says. So today we're going to head to the New Testament and what does it say about the afterlife and about hell? 
Okay, let's first look at the actual words being used for these locations where people die. Um, The word used in the New Testament that kind of replaced the word Sheol, the Greek version of the word Sheol, is actually the word Hades. Okay, that's the Greek version of Sheol. Now, we've, we've gone over Sheol a lot. Sheol is just a place where the souls of the dead are, and the souls of the good and the bad, right? We've got David saying he's going to go to Sheol. We have Samuel coming up out of Sheol uh, to to speak with Saul. He was not happy about that, by the way. And he proclaimed judgment on Saul for doing such a horrible thing, from go, for going to a diviner, for going to a, you know, a... a witchcraft, going to witchcraft to call him up out of the dead. And he's mad because he's like, why'd you wake me up? Basically, you know, when you're woken up from a really good sleep, you don't like it. That's kind of how Samuel approached this. And he's like, now that you've done this, Saul, you're going to be in a lot of trouble. But he comes, remember, he comes up out of basically up out of the grave. Okay, so Sheol is described as this lower location where the soul, where souls go after they die. And they're waiting there until, and we're going to find out today, until the final great white throne judgment or until the, um, I believe, until when Christ returns and resurrects his people. Um, there's a first resurrection and a second resurrection, I believe, that are being described in the very end, at the very end of days. Um the first being when Yeshua returns for the righteous who will meet him in the sky, and the second happening when he judges everyone at the great white throne judgment after he reigns on the earth a thousand years. That's my current understanding. Listen, this is my own opinion. We're not going to be dogmatic about all of these revelation, you know, kind of time period things because, yeah, we got a lot of theories out there and we don't really know and we won't really know probably until the Messiah returns and reveals it. So we're just guessing, but that's what I read in scripture. That's my opinion about what happens. But again, Sheol is just a place where the dead people are waiting where their souls are waiting. Uh, let's go to Matthew sixteen eighteen to understand Hades. Okay. It says, and on this rock, I will build my church. Jesus is speaking here on this rock. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The word for hell here is Hades. Hades again is Sheol. Okay. So the, the gates of, of all of the dead, where the dead are residing, cannot death cannot prevail against what he is doing. Okay, death will not overcome his church. Remember, he overcomes death on our behalf. So this word hell, when it says the gates of hell, we go to this eternal torture chamber where Satan and his demons are poking people with, you know, three pronged things and doing all of this horrible stuff. That's not the word Jesus is using. He's using the word for Sheol. Okay, the same place Samuel came up from the grave to talk to Saul from, the place David said he would go to. This is not the eternal torture chamber he's talking about. He's saying that death is not going to prevail against his church. And and also, I believe that he was in a location where they believed the gates of Hades existed in this particular place. I believe that this is kind of in the realm of um, Bashan, um, there's Mount Hermon, that particular area. And it was where a lot of satanic practices took place, where a lot of demonic activity took place. And so he he is probably talking to a lot of things at the time the disciples really understood locationally as well. But the word he uses here is the, is Sheol. 
Okay. Acts 2, 31 through 32 says this, Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body decay. The realm of the dead. This is also the word Sheol. Of course, Yeshua wasn't going to go to hell when he died. He wasn't, his, his soul wasn't abandoned to an eternal torture chamber. But it could have. Listen, when people die, their understanding was you went to Sheol. But remember, death could not contain our Savior. Sheol could not contain Yeshua's soul, right? So he was not abandoned to Sheol. Okay. Revelation 20 verse 14 says this, And death and hell were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. Okay, but I thought... According to our Greek mindset, hell is like the lake of fire, right? It's eternal burning. It's hell is this horrible place. On and on. But according to this, that place, that hell, gets thrown into the lake of fire at the end. What is hell here? Well, it's also the word Hades. It's Sheol. Okay, this also brings up another question then. So what's the lake of fire? What is that? Lake of Fire is not mentioned very much, and it's only mentioned in Revelation. And so we are going to get to that. Um, So I want to talk to you about what I believe the Lake of Fire is. And the Lake of Fire is basically this term Gehenna. Okay. This is Gehenna was an actual physical location in Israel. It was their trash dump. It was where trash was burned. It was originally in the Valley of Hinnom, and it was a deep ravine south of Jerusalem that there was continual burning of their trash there. There was also a time where human and child sacrifice took place in the Valley of Hinnom. And this place was a real place of destruction, and even sin and death were kind of exemplified here. We see this in Second Chronicles 28.3, in Second Kings 16, in Jeremiah 32 tells us they built high places for Baal in the Valley of Hinnom. So this valley was where they sacrificed to Moloch, okay, they sacrificed children, um, and they sacrificed people, and they set up pagan idols here. This was truly a place that exemplified being in opposition to Yeshua and his kingdom and behaving in a horrific, death-filled manner. This is where things went to die and to be incinerated. It was also because this is where all the trash got dumped, This was where maggots and flies and worms always were. The word for worms in scripture is actually the term, it's maggots is what it means. You know, there's always flies. There's always these bugs here feeding on the trash. Okay, that's why this imagery comes up in the New Testament. Yeshua and his disciples fully understood this physical location of Gehenna. Okay, it represented something. What did it represent? This is the picture of a place where things get utterly destroyed. Okay, let's see this in scripture. Mark 9, 47 through 49 says this. And if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell where the worms that eat them do not die and the fire is not quenched. Everyone will be salted with fire. Hmm. Again, a lot to discuss here, but basically that term hell there. This is Gehenna. This is what it's talking about, this location where trash is burned up. And there's a bunch of worms in there. There's a bunch of maggots in there and flies eating things up. And the fire is not quenched. Okay, 
Better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to be thrown into utter destruction. Now, this verse 49 really gets me. Everyone will be salted with fire. And I looked up the terminology here and it's, you know, this concept of being salt and light. Not you. The, the next verses go on to describe don't lose your saltiness, basically. Don't lose your flavor. And the holy fire of God is what gives you that flavor. And I actually am at this point not sure how to tie all of that information together but I'm going to get to it because that fascinated me when I really read those those words I thought what in the world is going on here <laughs> what is this what is being discussed what what is what is Gehenna exactly do to a person if you're thrown into Gehenna what does that mean Jude 1, 6 and Revelation 20 verses 11 through 12 reference a great white throne judgment where the dead and the living and possibly the fallen angels also, they, they've been held until this judgment day and now they are going to be judged. Now, I want to tell you the lake of fire, the Bible tells us the lake of fire was originally made for the fallen angels, basically for Satan, you know, and for, for hell to be thrown into. That was its original purpose. Its original purpose wasn't necessarily intended for human beings, human souls. So let's go to Revelation 13, um, 15. It's, uh, is this right? Really? I, th- I think it's Revelation maybe 20, 13 through 15. It says the sea gave up the dead that were in it and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. Death and Hades seem to be separate here. What does that mean? And each person was judged according to what they had done. What? What do you mean? They're judged according to what they've done? I thought we were just judged according to whether or not we had the blood of the lamb. What's going on here? Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. Okay, we've got our version of hell. When we say Hades, we think of hell, but no, it's not. It's Sheol, and it gets thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire, here's what the verse says. It says, the lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. What? L- listen, I. this is not, when you read this and you've got your Greek sunglasses on, does this throw you? If we just read it for what it says, we have death and Sheol getting thrown into a lake of fire. And it says the lake of fire is the second death. Now, there's a physical death that happens to us, but apparently, according to scripture, there's also a spiritual death. Okay. Number one, Hades is not the lake of fire. It is separate. So we have to separate what we think Hades and hell is from the lake of fire. These are not the same things. By the way, the lake of fire is also not an eternal torture chamber with a bunch of demons running around torturing humans and enjoying the time. Okay. That is also not being described here. Um, but the lake is the second death. All who are not in the book of life experience a second death. Let's talk about what is death. We've talked about this, but I want to remind you, when your body dies, it disintegrates. It's gone, right? You go back to being dust. The body goes back to dust. Your physical death means your body disappears. If you have a spiritual death, does that mean that your soul disappears? Let's go to Psalm 3720. It says this, but the wicked will perish. The enemies of Yah are like the glory of the pastures. They vanish like smoke. They vanish away. Will perish in that verse basically means to be blotted out 
We're going to talk about being blotted out of the book of life here in a minute, but it's utter destruction. You, Your name does not exist in the book of the living anymore. It means end and exterminate. According to David, the wicked will vanish. To vanish means you don't exist any longer. You're unseen. You're unknown. This is not describing eternal torture. Does David say you're going to, the wicked will be tortured eternally? That's not what he says. He says that they vanish like smoke. Malachi 4.1 says this, Surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble. And that day is coming, that is coming, will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. Basically, it's saying, so you know how people are often described as trees in scripture. They're often um, compared to trees. And this is just common, right? We have a very um, agricultural Bible, okay? It wants you to be able to go out in the field and understand God's kingdom. Well, the roots, and and thank you to... um, Oh, no, I can't remember his name, but there's a great ministry that I listened to online that kind of described why it says root and branch here. It says the root, because the root is the part of the tree that you don't see. And it is the life-giving part, right? It's the part that keeps the tree going. Without the roots, the tree would be dead. Well, your soul, if you if your body doesn't have a soul, your body starts disintegrating, right? So the root is the soul. And it says not a root or branch. The branch is the part that you can see, right? So the body, the soul and the body, not a soul or a body will be left to them. It's all gone, according to Malachi 4.1. The unseen and the seen will both be obliterated. Eternal punishment. Now, now there are these verses that talk about eternal punishment, but eternal punishment could just kind of mean eternal banishment, right? Eternal punishment means the situation of being away from the God is undoable, uh, not, uh, not undoable. You can't go back. You can't come back. Your soul can never be back. You're gone. So your soul position is eternally done. That is, that is the concept of eternal punishment here. They're just gone. Extinction is an eternal state, right? You can't bring that back. You're gone and you never return. Now, I want to talk about the book of life for a second here because the book of life comes up quite a bit in scripture and there is this concept of being blotted out of it, which means to me something along the lines of perhaps all names are written in the book of life in the beginning and then at some point they can be blotted out. They can be exterminated. If you go to the great white throne judgment and your name doesn't exist there, you do not exist, right? You are thrown into a non-existent state. You are gone. This is so interesting to me. This and this is just my opinion. This is what I'm reading here, but let's go let's go to scripture and see what it says about blotting out. Revelation 3:5 says, "The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels." Yeshua is here saying, "If you have conquered, right? You're going to be clothed in righteousness. White garments is always about righteousness. And I, he says, I will never blot his name out of the book of life. You are forever living. You have eternal life. That's what it is, right? 
Psalm 69, 28 says this, Let them be blotted out of the book of the living. Let them not be enrolled among the righteous. There's an enrollment here that takes place. If your name is still in the book of the living, you are among the righteous. When you come before that judgment, when that judgment day happens, you get to live. But there are others who can be blotted out of that book. They're exterminated, right? Exodus 32 verses 32 through 33 says this, but now Moses is talking, but now if you will forgive their sin, but if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. But the Lord said to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. Ooh. Well, that would have included all of us, except Yeshua came and covered us, right? So our names don't get blotted out. Instead, we get white garments of righteousness, hopefully, hopefully, right? Hopefully we decide to turn and to walk with the Lord. But I think it's interesting here. Moses is, Moses understood this. Why? How did he know this? How did he know about this book? I'd like to know that. He says, if not, please blot, if you're not going to forgive them, just blot me out. Blot me out of your book. Okay. Um, fascinating understanding that we see happening about this book of life. And that it's possible that if your name is blotted out, if you are erased from that book, you are erased. It is such a picture of the eternal position of your soul. We have to ask ourselves, what is God's character? If you want to malign his character, make him into an unrighteous judge that sentences people to torture chambers. Go ahead and do that. You want to make him look bad to everybody in the world? He is so awful and so mean that he would torture people for eternity that didn't choose him. He would torture people who had no choice in being born into a fallen state, no choice in coming into this place, no choice in having to live out this life, that he would set, he would make them to be tortured in hell for eternity. You wouldn't even do that. You're more merciful than that. You want to malign the character of God, then go ahead and put that mythology out there about him. But I'm going to tell you here from what scripture says, that is mythology. It is not what the Bible describes. It's not there. Now, we do have in Revelation a situation where those who have taken the mark of the beast, those who have worshipped the beast, those who did such great evil on the earth, they are burned, okay? And we have the smoke of their burning raising up, okay? They have a particular judgment, but that is a particular group. That's not everyone that's being described there. And when you go to Revelation and read that, you will see it's talking to those who worshiped the beast and received the mark and worshiped meant there that they crouched before. They gave everything of themselves over to. And probably, you know, this is kind of like the Nephilim in the days of of Noah. It's possible that the mark of the beast is something that makes you into a hybrid being. It changes your DNA. It makes you something different. It's possible. I'm just throwing this out there, okay? Because the Bible says that the end of days will be like the days of Noah, that in the end of the earth, things will be like things were on the earth when Noah was alive. And when Noah was alive, remember the interdimensional beings, the the angels, some of them decided this would be a good idea. Let's use mankind and make hybrid beings called the Nephilim. We're going to do this weird thing. Okay. And they were, they, those beings were, have a particular 
punishment upon their heads. It was so egregious what they did. Well, we see the same thing reflected in Revelation. Remember, the Bible, and I've done talks on this. I can do them again if you'd like. The Bible is chiastic. Okay, you see the things that happen in the beginning happen in the end. You see ideas that come up at the beginning come up at the end. It's why we are told by the prophets in the Bible, out of the beginning, God has spoken the end. If you understand the beginning, you understand the end. You understand the days of Noah, you will understand the end days. Those who take the mark of the beast might be like the Nephilim, this this seriously hybrid being that comes about because they worshiped, bowed down, and crouched before this system, this antichrist system, and became something they weren't supposed to be. They received, just like the Nephilim did, a very particular punishment in Revelation. That punishment does not belong to all souls that don't belong to the Lord. It's just not there. The Bible just doesn't say this. And I'm harping on this because I know some of you struggle with this. You want it to be there or you've always believed it is there, but it's not there. And since you wouldn't choose to do that to people who didn't choose to be born on the earth and be born in a fallen state, even you wouldn't eternally torture them. You think God is less merciful than you are? That's quite a statement. So you think Jesus died for all that he was so willing, he was willing to sacrifice every drop of blood he had in human form for the sake of the souls of humanity. And then he's going to go up to heaven and he's created a special eternal torture chamber for all the people who don't know him. Just, I'm sorry. Not only is it not in the Bible, but it doesn't really make logical sense. You can believe it. And we can be brothers and sisters in Christ, and you can believe that. But I am just trying to show you here, the Bible doesn't really say that. So I'm not sure where you're going to get that particular belief from unless you're taking verses out of context to do so. And we attempt to not do that here together, right, as a team. Um, So let's, let's cover a couple more Bible verses before I'm done here today. Revelation 1, 17 through 18 says this, I died and behold, I am alive forevermore and have the keys of death and hell. The keys of death and Sheol here, right? Jesus now has those keys. Death no longer has a hold. You remember that song? The grave no longer has a hold on you. Remember that? Yeah. Okay. The grave no longer has a hold. Because Yeshua came and took the keys away from Sheol, right? He's got the keys. He conquered that place. And those who love him there are raised from the dead. Where we were once going to have to stay forever, our souls were going to be bound up in Sheol forever. Yeshua came to get us out. This is what David says in Psalm 49, 15. He says this, but God will redeem me from the realm of the dead. He will surely take me to himself Oh, so good. David understood the realm of the dead, Sheol. He was going to be there forever, but he foresaw, foreknew. He was a great prophet in this regard. He understood that Yeshua was going to come and rescue his soul from Sheol. Amen and amen and amen and amen. Okay, but David wasn't going to hell. David wasn't saying I'm going into the Greek version of hell. He knew he would go to this waiting place. He didn't want to be stuck there forever. So he knew he could look forward to a savior who would come and who would rescue him out of Sheol. This is what the Bible says. This is what it's talking about. Okay. Doesn't this make more sense, by the way? 
when we understand the concept of death, we, we, and we think about what a second death actually means. And we think about how all the dead in, in Revelation are brought out of the sea and brought out of the ground and brought before the great white throne judgment, in which it says we're going to be judged based on what we did in life. So there's a bunch of people there who were not raised at the first uh, resurrection when Christ returns to the earth at first. Those people who are raised from the dead, those get to be with him right? For a thousand, for the thousand year reign, those get to reign with him. Those are the ones they, they are part of the bride, I believe, or they're part of those who love the Lord and get to be part of the kingdom. You want to be raised. If you die now, if you die and you don't get to see Yeshua return, you want to be resurrected at that first resurrection because the second resurrection, when they're all gathered before God, they're judged based on what they did. What does that mean? And why would it, why would that, if you're going to just send everybody to eternal hellfire, why would that type of judgment even take place? Why would it matter what you did? But you know, Yeshua is a righteous judge. It does matter what people do. It matters. Now, it doesn't mean you get to be the bride. If you, if you did not love the Lord, but you led a good life, it does not mean that you're the bride of Christ and it doesn't not mean you're in the kingdom. Frankly, I don't know what it means at this point. I, 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 it's not salvation, right? It, you're not going to be next to Jesus for eternity. I'm not sure what happens. But I do think second death for those who are, um, for surely for those who are rebellious against the Lord and, and knew him and rejected him, right? The ones who knew him and rejected him. Second death to me is starting to mean that their souls vanish. They're gone. And that's now my theory based on the research that I have done here. Again, it's a theory, but I will tell you our Greek Western view of hell, not in the Bible. And hopefully I've proven that to you over the last four sessions together here um, regarding hell. I'm ready to move on. I'm ready to get focused on getting some uh, other people in here and doing some interviews. And so I am hoping by next week, I'm going to have that to you. In the meantime, I am going to continue a few more in my proofs series. If you have not upgraded and you want to get for five bucks a month, you want to get all of my other content. Um, I would so appreciate that upgrade from you. Share this with your friends, anybody that you think would benefit from hearing this or anybody that you think might be able to push back. I am all up for the pushback. Let's hear some other thoughts and opinions. This is a discussion. It's called the exercises for a reason. I get challenged hopefully just as much as you all do in researching and discussing these topics. All right, till next time.